the incomparable. Number 224, December 2014. Welcome back, everybody, to the Incomparable Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Snell. We're here today to talk about a classic film. It's it, You could argue this is uh, an installment in my Get More Things About Star Trek on the Incomparable series. Uh, it's one of the finest Star Trek movies ever made. It's Galaxy <laughs> Quest. Not a Star Trek movie, and yet so much a Star Trek movie. Here to talk about this classic, hilarious movie with me, 1999. Good year. Good year for movies. Uh, are the following wonderful people. Scott McNulty, I wouldn't talk about Star Trek without you. It's good to have you here, even though this isn't technically Star Trek. I was about to say we aren't going to talk. Well, probably we will talk I about think, Star Trek. I suspect we will. It might be. And I'm glad to be here, Jason. Good, good, good. David Lore, also here, as always. Hello. I am very glad to be here, Jason. That didn't come out real at all. <laughs> We're not talking about the Muppets today. <laughs> Sesame Street podcast. Hi, Kermit the Frog here. Uh, Erica Ensign, you just heard her. She's out there. Hello. I am out here. Hello. We have uh, also Glenn Fleischman. TV's Glenn Fleischman has joined us again. Hello, Glenn. Welcome back. <laughs> Thanks. I grew a Van Dyke beard just for this episode. You know, normally we have we have we introduce people and uh, they give us uh, clever lines from the uh, thing that we watched or, or read or whatever. And I have like eight of them here, and nobody did any. So I was <laughs> I, I I hesitated too quick, and you moved on to the next person. I was going to claim that I was just simply going to be repeating the computer for the rest of this podcast. <laughs> Look, I don't get it. Look, I, I have one job on this lousy ship. It's stupid, yeah. but I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. And that is to introduce a very special guest, a longtime listener, a first-time participant on this show. It is Joseph Rosensteel. You may know him as Joe Steele. Hi, Joe. Hi. I'm just jazzed about being on the show, man. <laughs> uh, I see what you did there. Joe, that was I, – I was really hoping you'd say that. So thank you. Mm-hmm. You nailed it. You are one for one on Incomparable now. You you have a perfect score. Don't blow it. Joe yes. Flegelsteel. Perfect. Perfect. You can be the security chief any day. All right. Galaxy Quest. Galaxy Quest. Where where to begin? This is a um, – I sent some of you a link earlier to a, a story I remember reading when I was a kid in a Star Trek anthology, which is called Visit to a Weird Planet Revisited, which it turns out is like was like fan fiction, but then it got picked up and run in a professional anthology. And it was a funny little short story about how three of the original Star Trek actors are mistakenly beamed aboard the Enterprise through a transporter accident and have to bluff their way through uh, an event on the ship. And uh, as I was watching Galaxy Quest, I was like, oh, yeah, I think I know. I think I've seen this story before. And that's actually a sequel to one where the real Star Trek characters wind up in hollywood uh so this is the same premise which is which is uh it's totally it's totally real uh rather than it being like beamed through uh to a parallel universe in this case there there are the the aliens the uh termites or is it dalmatians who uh who make the thermians who uh who make a a replica of the uh the the starship from a uh an 80s i guess tv show that is very much like star trek that stars tim allen and Sigourney Weaver, not the actual actors, they play less good actors, I would say. Alan Rickman, Tony <laughs> Shalhoub, great cast in this. Um, and uh, and that's the story. So basically, these actors are, are forced to try and, uh, try and try to act like sci-fi movie heroes. And then the fun begins. 
I guess we should start for a lot of these movies that have been around for a little while. Uh, I wanted to ask everybody if they have anything. First off, if anybody has an opening statement or some thoughts about uh, Galaxy Quest and what it means to them, now would be a time. John Syracuse is not on. So uh, that slot's open. <laughs> Somebody wants to step up. I have a brief statement. Okay, Glenn, give Which us is, a brief statement. I always think that Tim Allen is a terrible actor and that I never want to see him in anything. And then I see Galaxy Quest and there's a few other films that seem really like things you would just – was it the Santa Claus, I think, that are – he's so ridiculously charming in the right – mode and i watch this again and think he's he <laughs> i forget he can be good he carries off some really great scenes in it and uh and that's all i say it's like this movie is one of the things that redeems tim allen for all the the terrible <laughs> cheesy work he's done because he can pull it off because he's sort of playing a version of himself in this sort of but there's a real emotional center well and, that's all and, and buzz lightyear and buzz oh I for, no i forget you're yeah. right see and i've forgotten that's tim, i forget it's tim allen hmm. i always think of him as super cheesy and yet he has an emotional core to his acting yeah, I think it's a I think it's a really good performance. I think it's a lot of fun. I think he is he he tries to find a place that is the full um the full Shatner um <laughs> while remaining um somebody that you want to root for like Bill, right right that, that that Shatner dichotomy of like oh well I hear William Shatner maybe was a little difficult to work with when they were doing the show and all that and yet at the same time Captain Kirk you want to root for him because he's the hero and that that same dichotomy plays out with Tim Allen's character in this movie. <laughs> Well, I can't believe that this movie uh, premiered in 1999. That's crazy. Oh, my gosh. That is mm. crazy. It, yeah. It's a 15-year-old movie, folks. It's uh, Christmas Day of 1999. Ooh. Wow. Even crazier. So it, it, the movie begins and ends in a sci-fi convention. Uh, and if you freeze frame, you can see that there are, in the first few rows, there are people wearing various alien-type costumes. Although I thought it was interesting that there are very much just Klingons in the bathroom. There are always Klingons in the bathroom. It's it's great because you just have that wall of identical people at the urinals, but they're all Klingon. Yeah, they. I mean, they they could have made a Galaxy Quest alien or something, but they're like, nah. We 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 call some people. They're Klingons. It's fine. <laughs> at least they weren't stormtroopers. So so um the the cast of Galaxy Quest is waiting for Jason Nesmith, Tim Allen, to arrive. He's late. Um, their tension builds. All of their tensions from uh, you get the sense that they they were not just a a big happy family as is being they're being described out in the convention hall um, and and they they all have something against uh, Tim Allen. He finally shows up and uh, they go out on stage and of course Tim Allen drinks in all of the adulation of the crowd while they are all shooting uh, daggers at him. Also, there's a very nice moment where they have to drag uh, they have to drag. Is that? <laughs> Rickman. Is, that, is that here where Rickman? Uh, yeah, it, yeah. It's like he's ha- has he's he had this panic attack yet, and he yeah. immediately takes off, and they have to like put a coat over him and drag him back into the <laughs> into the green room as he's as he's uh, being announced. And, the show must go on. Yeah, the show. <laughs> that was good. Oh, damn, it's so Five good. Five curtain calls. It's so so good. I mean, if you would uh, describe this movie to me as being well, Alan Rickman plays a, a, a you know an English actor who is a very serious actor and uh, he thinks that this show is beneath him and he doesn't let anybody forget it. I think, wow, that's kind of a killjoy. Uh, you know, that's not a, I, I, I don't know. That doesn't sound, that sounds really obvious and kind of like not, not very funny. And it is in reality quite funny and they don't, they don't ever make it like, you know, I don't know. They're, they, for whatever reason, I think this, this movie strikes a, a pretty good uh, balance between making fun of the source material and honoring the source material. I never at any point yes. felt like uh, this movie made fun of me for liking Star Trek. 
which is tough because you do laugh at all of the things that are silly about Star Trek when you when you watch this movie. And yet I never felt bad about it or, or that it was it was talking down to me in some way. And Alan Rickman's character would would be a place where that could happen. And it doesn't happen, I think. Right. Well, because you empathize with him. I mean, mm-hmm. you you realize that he is a very good actor and 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 he never becomes insufferable about it as 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 hard as he plays it and as as far as they go with it it never becomes too much um they manage to pull him back and sort of give him a little humanity every every time it threatens to like when he's doing the the autograph signing and it's just like yes i i'm on his i'm i'm empathizing with him being bored out of his mind hearing the same thing over and over again instead of being the fan going oh oh let me do my thing for you I like the fact that, and I think this is maybe a good juncture to mention, is that uh, I really hate comedies that mug. And and I think, you know, of course, mm. um, Sam, Sam Rockwell comes the closest to it, but he's not mugging. He's just sort of, but his character is, um, you know, is over the top. But this is played straight. Even the aliens are played play it straight. It's funny. I mean, it's heightened yeah. for comic effect, but everything is realistic within the structure of the film and everything is played completely straight which is amazing, and that's why I think they later get into some really poignant and emotional moments is because they haven't made it into a joke, even though it's funny, and even though some things are ridiculous, but they're true. And I think Alan Rickman is a great stabilizing part of that because his character is so earnest, and then that earnestness becomes a true thing later where here is sort of ridiculous because he's you know this out-of-work actor or, not, or a commercial actor, I guess. Yeah, I mean it's, it's sort of a balance I think about with the radio scripts is – being funny about it and, and having fun with these uh, styles and tropes and everything, but also telling a satisfying story with relatively normal characters, um, which is it, it's a tightrope. It's fun, but it is a tightrope. And as for, you know, not feeling like we are being made fun of as fans by the movie, I don't think that yeah. this movie would have succeeded if that was that was how it turned out. Because mm. it's so clear that this film was made with love for the genre oh. by people who you, you can't write a script that's going to know all of these little tiny ins and outs that well, unless you're somebody who's experienced this and been watching these kinds of shows for a long time. So, I, yeah, I also never got the feeling that I was I was being you know looked down upon. The, the filmmakers were not staring down their nose at me in any way. And I think Alan Rickman's character also kind of fits into that because he just he he is trying hard and there were a lot of people making those shows that did the best that they could with what they had he just you know he's he, he's trying to be a good actor and he recognizes that that wasn't always uh as possible <laughs> as it sometimes is scott the uh when you do random trek uh, you know a lot of times those episodes are detailing all of the strange and improbable things that happen and the ridiculous things that happen. And I know you've had a, a, a few people say, <laughs> angry iTunes reviewers, like, wow, well, all they do is make fun of Star Trek. But it's like, it, it, but it comes from a place of love, right? It, like, that's where it starts is I love this stuff and it's a lot of fun. And then you take it apart. But th- that's not, you know, you, that you're not you're not trying to mock people for liking Star Trek because that's part of the premise is that, of course, we like it, but we can we can laugh at. Uh, some of its quibbles to its strange things, right? Right. Well, I wouldn't. I mean, uh, I wouldn't spend my time talking about a show I didn't like. Uh, <laughs> so, I mean, that's the first thing. Some people do. They make what a kind of a monster. Of would you be? I know what's, uh, and that's why I think that. I mean, it's not like we talk about Voyager or anything. 
<laughs> well, if it's you know, even Voyager has its uh, <laughs> appeals. Yes. Uh, but I, I think that what what uh, Erica was saying, I, I agree with completely, and and you can tell that the the makers of the movie like Star Trek, and they are there uh, and science fiction in general and fandom, and they're celebrating it, but pointing out that you know, I think everyone who likes these kinds of shows realizes at a certain level that it is ridiculous. Uh, and that's part of its charm. Uh, and there are several sequences in the movie that that bring that out. Uh, you know, particularly the the where they have to run through the the corridor with mm. the clanging the chompers. Uh, the yeah. chompers yes. Uh, Who designed that this was ship? Great. Yes. Whoever wrote this episode should be dead. <laughs> so yes, but when when you start looking at something with a little more critical of an eye, you you notice its its faults. Uh, but when you're just enjoying it, uh, it doesn't really matter. You let it you let it wash wash over you. So one of the nice things about this is that the, fi- the 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 thing that makes the plot happen in Galaxy Quest is that there is an alien race that are fans of the show. So the 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 Thermians come from a position of fandom. They appear at the at the convention as fans and fans then, of the historical documents. Well, uh, sure, of the historical documents, absolutely. But they're fans. They're fans of the show. Yeah. They come to the convention. They're dressed in the uniforms. Um, when they when they bring uh, Jason Nesmith on board the ship, they uh, he thinks it's uh, it's the group with Justin Long that's built their own little bridge in somebody's garage. Um, and he says, wow, that's pretty good. It's better than the usual. Um, and so, so fandom kind of drives the plot here in the sense that they are the, the alien race, they're fans too. And they've, they, they, they love it. And, and the actors are the ones who have to kind of, uh, understand the, the underlying fictional aspects and try to, I guess they don't break it to them gently. In fact, they eventually are forced to break it to them harshly that it's not a historical document. But fandom is at the heart of this movie because even the Thermians who make the plot happen are fans. Yeah, and uh, also not just any average fan. These are sort of obsessive fans, um, the Thermians and and uh, Justin Long and friends, mm. and sort of their uh, uh, over-exuberance and attention to detail um, is rewarded uh, in a way, which is, is kind mm. of fun and satisfying. Um, although in real life, uh, still, still kind of probably don't need to know all that information about the utility corridors. <laughs> <laughs> but you might get that call one day. That's right. <laughs> where, where I say, I say, Joe, it's all real. <laughs> oh my God, I knew it. I knew, I knew it. it. <laughs> the Zeppelin is going down. What do I do? Well, I, I really like that um, both Justin Long's group. I mean, you can you can actually compare them, Justin Long's group with the Thermians. That the, the Justin Long's group too is a crew. <laughs> they all have their uniforms. <laughs> they form. You you get the sense that that group spends time in that garage that they've made the protector bridge in. And uh, you know, it, I like that that it's not just like Justin Long or, or him and a couple other people. It's like there's like five or six of them at the at the convention. And it's a lovely balance of, you know, here are these two disparate groups who've come together to work as a team. And that's what the main characters wind up learning is they're not a team at the beginning. They've only right. played it. And they become that from the examples. It's 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 a lovely arc. That was beautiful, David. Thank you. Mm-hmm. I don't think I realized until looking at the Wikipedia page that the Thermians are from the Klaatu Nebula. Yes. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I love the fact that their ship, the prefix on the ship is NTE, which is supposedly stands for not the Enterprise. Oh, that is awesome. Yeah, instead instead of NCC. Yeah. Uh, uh-huh. So it's oh not the Enterprise. Oh, my goodness. The in-jokes. 
anyway, the Thermians transport uh, transport uh, Jason Nesmith onto the Protector. Um, he thinks that this is uh, basically he's hungover. He thinks that this is Justin Long's garage. He basically says, "Fire the red cannons, fire the blue cannons, fire everything." <laughs> Channeling a future Eric Bana in Star Trek, basically fire everything fire and everything. beat me back home. And I'll be, and I'll just be on my way. Wasn't this fun? Actually, he's sort of shafting them because if this was really uh, Justin Long's group, he's given no effort. He's drunk their soda and showed up at their bridge and barked a couple of things and then walks out and wants to go home again. But that that goes badly for for uh, for the Thermians because he doesn't kill Saris by just firing everything, and uh, and so they have to come back and get him. Shame. I like the moment at the at the uh, the Best Buy. It's not a Best Buy, but the 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 discount uh, home electronics store. We get we get the moment of uh, they're all reading their lines one by one, leading up to that wonderful moment of by grab Thar's hammer. <laughs> what a savings! Uh, Gwen DeMarco cuts the, has the giant oversized uh, scissors mm. to cut the uh, ribbon, um, and then they're doing the signing afterward. And I really like that moment where where uh, Tim Allen runs up to them and says, it's all real. They were termites or Dalmatians. And they are completely <laughs> done with him. They, yes. they, they are, he didn't, why do you even bother showing up? Do you know what time it is? Like they are, they are totally over him. And he suddenly become one of those crazy fans who thinks that it's real. Yeah. yeah and I, I really like what Gwen says to him here where uh, she says, you know, it's one thing to treat us this way. It's another to treat it, to treat your fans like this. Um, yeah. Because in the previous scene where they were signing stuff at the convention, he was treating the fans very well up until that point where uh, uh, he overheard the Klingons uh, and no, the guys who aren't the Klingons, the guys who are yeah. peeing next to the Klingons, the guys who are too cool <laughs> at the convention. Yeah. I, I don't, Why are I they don't there? <laughs> I don't know. I was wondering. They're there to make fun of the nerds. Yeah, yeah they're I there guess. to make themselves feel better by putting down other people. Those are the saddest people at the conventions. Those are the bad people. Burst. That's right. And the movie knows that. Those those are the real Klingons. The movie knows those people are bad people. Those are the true enemy in this movie. There's Saris, but really yes. it's those two guys. Those those were the Sequest fans. Worse than Hitler. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Uh, she's, she says you treat your fans this way, and he's run into Justin Long, and, and there's the, the switch of the communicators, which is important later. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then, uh, then the Thermians arrive again, and... Uh, and I, I like that the the only way that Jason uh, can get them to come back to the uh, the the Klaatu Nebula is because they realize that although he's drunk and annoying, there might be some money in it for them. <laughs> like many of the greatest historical documents, the incomparable is brought to you by a sponsor this week. It is Lynda.com. You've heard me tell you about them before. Lynda.com is a great place to learn things. I mean, that's the bottom line. If you haven't tried them, you owe it to yourself to give them a try. And we're going to be able to give you a special deal where you can try for 10 days for free and have access to all of their courses. So if you've got maybe a holiday break coming up, maybe you're a student, maybe you're somebody who's going to be going on a vacation, maybe you're doing a staycation and you're going to have a little time, you maybe want to take that time, take the 10-day free trial of lynda.com and learn some stuff. Here's what lynda.com provides. It provides great high-quality video courses. You're going to be seeing the experts doing these things and stepping you through how you can do them. Whether you're a beginner or an advanced user, whether you want to learn something from scratch or you just want to polish up some specific skills. Like for me, I'm really trying to get better at audio stuff, and I learned a lot about editing. Now I'm trying to learn about things like compression and EQ. There are so many There's pro audio. There's creative professional stuff in the Adobe uh, Creative Suite. There's Microsoft Office. There's 
photography. There's iOS and macOS and Windows and Android. And I mean, you name it. If you can think of a technology topic that is uh, worth learning, you will be able to find courses about it at lynda.com. And they're all produced at the highest quality. They have this amazing state-of-the-art video studio, and they break the courses up into bite-sized pieces using the power of kind of random access of the way you do a web course to build something that lets you jump to write what you want to learn or lets you just watch the whole thing and let it sink into you. So I really, it, it is one of the amazing things that the the advent of the web has done is made education and training so much better. And lynda.com is a great example of that. So for one low monthly price, $25 a month, you have unlimited access to the entire library. It's more than 100000 that's a huge number, 100,000 video tutorials. And if you're a premium member, you can even download courses to your iPhone or iPad and watch them offline. You can even download project files and practice along with the instructor. So for any software you rely on, anything you want to learn, lynda.com can help you stay current or get up to speed. And now here's the deal. 10 days free, more than 100,000 video tutorials. What you need to do is go to lynda.com. That's L-Y-N-D-A dot com slash incomparable. Easy to remember. And you can try lynda.com free for 10 days. lynda.com slash incomparable. And thank you so much to lynda.com for teaching me things and for supporting the incomparable. We, you know, we we glossed over one thing though. I, I just want to point out is um, this film has really uneven special effects. The CGI is kind of all over the place, and some of the costume and prosthetic work is weird at times. Although, uh, like we, uh, like Saris, we'll get to um, versus uh, the Thermians or some of the octopus reveals and so forth. Um, but the bit where he goes, I've forgotten how. Like, well, the whole film reconceives the Star Trek universe and all the tropes we're used to in, I think, a really interesting and wonderful way. Like, I thought they could have just recycled things, but everything is kind of different. The tran- the teleportation thing is different. And the fact that the- somebody came up with this idea, oh, he's going to stand in a pad and it's going to cover him with goo mm-hmm. and then he's going to actually personally fly through open space was fantastic. I liked I've never seen anything quite like that before, and I like that throughout they were always acting in response to, so nothing was exactly um, what we expected. I mean, the bridge arrangement was very similar, of course, but but the actual technology and, and effects, they kind of uh, – they purposely put us off and came up with some wonderful reconceptualizations. We should talk about the special effects a little bit. If only there was somebody here who perhaps professionally works what? on motion pictures <laughs> – but let and me special tell you. effects. So, Joe, how, how, how do you? It's rate, like he's a special effects guy. How, how do you? How do you rate the uh, the 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 effects in Galaxy Quest? Um, uh, well, I, ILM did them, and uh, this is that period where uh, ILM had fallen out of favor with Paramount for whatever reason. Um, and uh, the the uh, Star Trek movie before this was Star Trek Insurrection, and it was done by Santa Barbara Studios. Um, so, if you want to talk about uneven special effects. Mm. Maybe huh. look at that movie. <laughs> uh, and the Don't look at that movie. <laughs> yes. And the Star Trek movie after this is Nemesis, which is done by Digital Domain. And I would say that of those three movies, uh, with Galaxy Quest in the middle, I would, I think that the Galaxy Quest effects probably hold up better than hmm. uh, some of like the overbloomed, over-stylized uh, stuff in 
digital domains work in in Nemesis and uh, hold up better than sort of the soft plasticky weirdness in uh, in Star Trek Insurrection. Um, and it, there are of course technical things where th- th- this is you know 1999. They weren't really great at making little people, um, so they don't really have like skin that feels or looks like skin. Uh, they're not a, quite as articulate as you might expect. Uh, the goo, as Glenn was pointing out, uh, has little air bubbles in it, and it doesn't really like slosh around the right way. Um, and uh, that's totally how that space goo sloshes, though. Do yeah, right. Oh, right. I have a it's I have canonical a space. It's not like goo. regular goo. <clears throat> no, it's it's canonical space goo. <laughs> yeah, you ordered it on Amazon by the tank. Um, the uh, yeah, so it, it's it, it's it's really good for its time, I think, especially if you look at it. Uh, through the lens of the other surrounding Star Trek movies uh, that that were that were out, um, it, it it's not as good as it would be, of course, if it was done today. But uh, but I really like it. Yeah, I love the uh, I love the octopus thing. I, I think those are really weird, neat. Octopuses. Those were all um, practical Stan Winston stuff, oh. along with Saris. Uh, and his his and, henchmen, and I kind of love Saris. I love the fact that he's so articulated, and he has weird parts of his body moving at all times. Yeah, even I thought he looked great, and I almost never noticed yeah. special effects. Well, it would, but it fits, and it it fits into it like it's that we're inside the joke, outside the joke at the same time, so that we're both looking at it as if it's fake and real. We're watching a movie, so we know it's fake, but but it has to be convincing in the film, and so it seems to cover right. it crosses that gap too, which is cool. Also, I, I noticed this time again, the uh, every time I watch this movie, I think I noticed that Saris has an English accent in the grand tradition of English actors who are unrecognizable unre- in a suit. Um, and I always think that I really enjoy Saris. And, and it's only at the end when I look at the credits that I realize that it's Robin Sachs, who has been in a million things, including mm. uh, Buffy and Babylon 5. And he's oh. and he's great. He's a Membari yeah. in Babylon. I think he was multiple. He was also a Narn in Babylon Five. Erica, do you recall that? And, <laughs> I don't remember. No. And he's uh, and he's the uh, he's uh, Giles's uh, evil uh, black magic friend in Buffy the yeah, Vampire yeah. Slayer. Uh, and he yeah he's he's uh, he's Saris in this. But uh, you know I think you can't even see him. I don't think even the mouth is him moving his mouth. I think that's all uh, a prosthetic. But it's great. And he's named for film critic Andrew Saris, so you gotta love a movie that names its mm-hmm. villain for a film critic. Boo. Um, <laughs> let's see. What we're we're uh, so they when they when they when they beam back or goo travel whatever back to the they left the channel open and all of that right they 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 end up uh, marveling over where they are and it turns out not to be the ship it's the space station. And that's important because one of the really funny jokes for me in this movie is mm-hmm. they have the giant, slow, loving starship reveal shot, yep. which is um, – there are lots of movies that do this, <laughs> but Star Trek The Motion Picture is the most egregious at its loving pan over uh, a starship and then the painfully slow scene where they take it out of space dock. <laughs> Although hilariously <laughs> because of this – Scraping, but that well, in the end, that's the best. In the end, that is the (laughs) that is the best joke about it. But I, I just love. I, I laugh every time I see those loving pans as the as the theme music comes up of the ship. Because come on, oh yeah, full full (laughs) chorus of voices going behind it. It 
It's it's mm. it's all there, full blast. <laughs> we skipped the one that great scene though where they land though, where they they the goo takes them there, and then the the gibbering, all of them gibbering oh, yeah, in different yeah. ways, and then and the the octopus creatures showing up, and the whole thing gets is totally over the top and wonderful. People just shaking, and then as Joe was pointing out, guys scream at the scream, <laughs> and then Tony Shalhoub <laughs> sho- shows Tony up Shalhoub late. Moment, yeah. Oh my god, I yeah. laughed so loud. I was wearing headphones, and my wife stopped me last night and said. What are you laughing about? I tried to remind her of that scene because it was just, oh, I just started laughing and laughing. He's so perfect. Well, that was a hell of a thing. <laughs> What's wrong with them? I love Tony Shalhoub in this. Oh, my he's, God. He's oh, so yeah. great. I, I don't Unexpected. Know, I don't know who decided to say, just play him really, really stoned the whole way through. <laughs> and just but... to keep eating. <laughs> it works. Yep. You keep eating. Oh, my God, that scene. Yes. It's amazing. <laughs> it is amazing. That was a hell of a thing. Yeah. <laughs> just... Amazing. So I love that. Um, again, to go to that that uh, visit to a weird uh, planet revisited kind of thing. The idea that that this isn't a parallel universe. This is built on their TV show. Has that wonderful moment where Daryl Chill Mitchell as Tommy is sitting in the in the Sulu chair, basically, and saying, "Boy, I'm glad I'm not the sucker who has to sit in that command chair." And Tim Allen turns to him and says, "Take us out, Laredo." <laughs> 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 And that's beautiful, but it's also this idea of, like they they based it on your hand movements. And I've read interviews with like Star Trek people, like especially on the Next Generation, where they had the flat panels with the the cutout lights behind them, and so that literally there there was nothing that they would make up, like what did what with their hand <laughs> gestures, just to be consistent, like from not only from take to take and for continuity purposes, but just I think for their own sanity, like they would come up with a little mm. game of like, this is how I scan for life forms. And so that made me laugh that they're like, no, no, whatever you did, that's what you need to do. Just do that. That's, that is a standard actor thing. I mean, act, if, especially if you're going to be doing a repetitive thing uh, and, and in a series, but even, even just in a play, uh, they, they need the absolute consistency of what they're going to do so they know what they're doing. You know, maybe they're attaching it to the words they're saying or the actions that they're doing. But especially when you've got something like this, yes, they they need to have that easy-to-remember repetitive thing. And especially in like a, a science fiction thing because people are going to notice that. But but that all that all goes into the, the, the scenes in this movie where at several points basically the actors are told, um, just do what you did on the show because that's yeah. – that's what we based it on. So you just do that. Um, and, and, you know, he doesn't, Laredo doesn't get it quite right. And so we get that great, after all of this majesty, he scrapes the side of the ship down the, down the entire space. <laughs> and I, I like how this, the scraping of the ship is, is every bit as long and extra uncomfortable mm. as any of those loving pans Indeed. you were talking about. Like yep. those are so long. And then this yep. just goes on and on and, and on. And the sparks gets, shooting out. I, I just oh. cringe. My like my head, my ears just go closer and closer to my shoulders. The longer it goes on, uh, it's great. And it, it, there's also uh, a guy hovering over him, like sort of attempting oh, to supervise this process. Englishing. Yeah, <laughs> it, it, like like he has any real idea, <laughs> and it leaves a mark. That's you know awesome. he may actually have more ideas since he's been watching this show. Clearly, oh. uh, well, yeah. Uh, I'm just jazzed about being on the show, man. It happens around now. Mm-hmm. They they go on their their tour, don't they, of the the barracks? And there's yes. the infinite hallway that we never see again of all of the <laughs> all of the people by their sure. uh, saluting him. It's a very um, long, very large ship. Lots of people on it. We won't see like, them again. Like throwing gasoline on a flame. Mm. 
I like that they spent so much, like, I mean, putting this whole ship together had to be an astronomical, <laughs> pun intended, um, <laughs> astronomical cost. But they also then shelled out for every single crew member to have one of the little, you know, cloaking things so that they could look like a human and fit in on the right. ship, even though they're all like octopi creatures. Well, that's how they match the historical documents. Accuracy is important. So uh, there's another uh, there's another confrontation with Saris. And this is, uh, as somebody who loves Star Trek II, this is a Star Trek II moment gone horribly wrong. <laughs> where there's the uh, the confrontation across the from the two ships across the view screens, and Kim Allen gives the cut, you know mute him <laughs> gesture, and uh, then says, you know, he's stupid as he is ugly, and all of those things. All the while, uh, Sigourney Weaver's trying to get his attention to point out that he can still hear him. Uh, that's that's a beautiful thing because you know you just assume when you do the thing like Captain Kirk does the thing and it's done right you're, yeah. you're, that guy's on mute now it was funny but it was a little bit annoying because she just kept saying his name instead of saying you know she could have just he said you're still you. on yeah exactly well I mean it was one of those things where the first time she said it you were just like I, I know exactly where this is going <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> but but uh, not to not to derail this moment but there there is of course the important realization when they are eating uh, and they see the tape of the previous leader being tortured <laughs> yes and they realize that this isn't the fun tour that they thought they were going on um and they all freak out and want to leave at that point uh that that this wasn't uh going to be what it was going to crack but they all want to leave but saris is already in range and they can't escape they would be destroyed by saris uh if they were in their little goo pods mm-hmm uh, also, that that's got a great moment um, where uh, where uh, Alan Rickman is told that they've synthesized his favorite meals from his home planet. <laughs> oh yes, blood ticks. Blood ticks, and one the one ju- mm. that jumps out and uh, plops back down in. He, I don't think he was that hungry. <laughs> no, because because and that that's actually that that scene set up really well where you you think that what you're going to get is that Tim Allen's going to be grossed out by the fact that this steak that he's eating is not actually a steak but a synthetic steak, but he's like, nope, it's great, <laughs> and it's and it's you pan down and it's Alan Rickman who's got alien bugs in a in a in a wine glass and worms. Sorry, bugs and worms. Scott, this uh, Star Trek call out. This reminds me of that conspiracy episode. Mm-hmm. Ah yes, where everyone's eating uh, worms. meal worms. That's of, right, out of goblets. And you've got that moment of like, do I eat the bugs and the worms to prove that I'm who I'm not actually, or do I just drop them and fire somebody with a phaser, which is what Riker does because he's that <laughs> he's a man of action. Yes, that that's what Tim Allen's character would do. Let's see what else. So so um, minefield. Are we up to the minefield now? Uh, I think it was the turbo button. Uh, conflict first, uh, but but then minefield immediately following. All right, the minefield I like because that's a, that's actually a George Lucas feel more than you know mm-hmm. the Star Wars movies. It's always like you know because space is vast and there are not like feel asteroid fields don't have just like <laughs> rocks everywhere that you have to dart around. That's not how it works. And the the minefield feels like that where now we've got our little Millennium Falcon kind of chase scene where where uh, Saris's ship is like Darth Vader in Empire Strikes Back saying, well, we don't have to go in there just yet and, you know, send send somebody in to find them and they're dodging the mines incompetently because um, they, they're actors and don't know how to steer the ship. Uh, well, one of the other things I also like about the minefield is it's not really clear what this minefield is actually guarding. Right. Or, right. Or anything. It's just a, 
it's, evenly it, spaced. It's, yeah, it's like a parallel. It's a re- it's a rectangle, a three dimensional rectangle uh, shape of uh, minds, just like yeah. in a like a, it's like a. It reminds like, me of an Enterprise episode. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. It's like a block of cheese that you would get at Costco. Uh, it's a block of cheese shaped mm. minefield. Why? Maybe there's something really cool at the center of it. Like a block of cheese. <laughs> like it could be, could be some fine uh, aged Manchego. cheddar, or, or some manchego. Sure, there's a sheep. There's a sheep giving milk, and and then a replicator turns it into I don't know. Um, the they they are damaged by the minefield. This beryllium sphere is is fractured. This is their dilithium crystal equivalent the beryllium sphere it's another thing like i know it's not dilithium crystals but they they created a neat effect for it so it actually stands on its own it's completely inexplicable i i love the i mean this gets to that reverse engineering thing which is so geeky they reverse engineer everything about the show and they made things that were impossible real because they didn't know any better including this floating beryllium sphere that apparently lets them do this crazy space travel stuff yeah beryllium like like lithium is a real element uh, turned into something totally ridiculous and fictional. Um, so the uh, beryllium sphere is f- fractured, so now we get to have our away mission, because a Star Trek episode would not be complete without a mission to a planet surface. Um, they have the scene in the computer room. This is the one that I mentioned earlier, where um, where Sigourney Weaver repeats everything that is said by everybody to and from the computer. <laughs> and that goes on a long time too and yet it's very funny that it just she look i have one job on this lousy ship it's stupid but i'm gonna do it that's a great that's a great line and this is also the moment where we discover that uh for the thermians there is no greater tragedy in all of the world than the story of gilligan's island <laughs> oh. those poor people oh, poor people <laughs> I also like the presentation. Uh, somebody, I think, in the chat room said, uh, "Remember to mention uh, Enrico Colantani." Colantoni. Colantoni. Kyle Enrico Glenn. Reboot Glenn. Enrico Colantoni is in this <laughs> as Mathazar, and he's great. And you may know him, oh. although he's hard to recognize, as uh, Veronica Mars's dad. That's how I have come to know and or love. Or that guy from Just Shoot Me. Enrico yeah. Colantoni. That's right. That's nah. right. He's a well-known he's, TV he's actor. always going to be Keith Mars to me. But it's a per, it's a the the interpretation he comes up with that you are our only hope. And just the that hollowness and it's perfect mm. and consistent and he's the one Steven who does it. Steven has been best. talking like that for a week now. <laughs> Thanks guys. Thanks for making me watch this movie. Uh, you moved to Canada, you pay the price. That's the price <laughs> Apparently. You know. Poor people, those <laughs> poor people. It's uh, but it's but it's a great it's a great shtick because it doesn't it's not so annoying that it wears thin. And then he and the other actors bring out the pathos of them yeah. doing this you know shadow of a shadow thing that they're so sincere about. It's funny how it's like it's this ridiculous thing, and then it becomes sadder and sadder as the movie comes on, goes on as they reveal more of the horrible truth. In small parts, uh, Rain Wilson is one of the Thermians from The Office. And uh, and uh, Patrick Breen is Quillick, who's a that's a very good character who's got a couple very good scenes. I, I should note too the space dock scene. It comes back. I didn't realize this until watching the film the second time a long time ago. Is the destroyed planet is all around the space dock. Mm. You don't realize that until they talk about it later. The the space dock is in the middle of nowhere, and they sort of give you one shot where you see like bits of stuff floating around, and that's where they're from. That's their home world. Yeah, yeah blown to bits. I'm not sure how it exploded quite like that to have just that little mushroom shape left of the planet. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Force field. Have you, have you, yeah, sure. 
That's true. It's like the Klingon energy moon praxis. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's very good. That's what I was going to say, Scott. Well done. Well, well played. Uh, Scott emerges from the bushes, drops a Star Trek reference. Thank you, Konos. Goes back into the bushes. Uh, okay, so so they go down to the planet in a shuttlecraft, essentially. And, um, and that leads to uh, a bunch of great scenes, including the demand that they test for oxygen. And uh, Tony Shalhoub just does some sniffing. <laughs> and determines it's fine. Seems fine to me. Because this is Sam Rockwell at his most freaked out that he's going to die and he's going to be a Richard. Because he died. He was killed by a lava monster in episode 81. So <laughs> he thinks that's going to happen again. Yeah. And I love while uh, while he's sniffing about uh, Sam Rockwell is, is holding his breath. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like that's going to do anything at all. <laughs> um, and they see, they so they go, uh, um, again, a wonder, another wonderful Star Trek thing. Uh, reminded me of... Uh, actually, I think where no man has gone before, Scott, but uh, numerous Star Trek episodes where there's the big matte painting. Mm-hmm. So they come over the the hill of this rocky area that looks like you know basically Vasquez rocks and you know sl- cross with Arizona. <laughs> um, and, and there's a wonderful like matte painting of a mining colony um, right out of a Star Trek episode. Uh, and uh, and somebody actually says, looks like some sort of mining colony, which is just played perfectly straight. And I'm like, come on. Are you an expert in planetary mining colony? This All right. Automated mining colony. It well, because be. it, it looks like a matte painting from their show. <laughs> it does. It does. So they see little, they're, they're little, um, they're little monsters. They're little aliens there. I guess they're not monsters yet. We don't know that they're monsters. That's racist. And this is this is a place where uh, where uh, the, uh, the guy's uh, knowledge of the show comes in handy because he at one point declares exactly what's going to happen mm-hmm. a, a couple of minutes before it does. Where he's like, "There's going to be more of them. <laughs> they're going to turn mean." This is another scene that that really bothers me. Actually, this is the one scene in the movie I think that bothers me the most because you have Sigourney Weaver's character suddenly being completely stupid and mm-hmm. wanting to like run out there just because they happen to be cute. Hi, little She's guy. She's the only Hi, character. Please. Like, I have more to say about her arc or lack thereof oh. once we get to the end. But this was <laughs> this was the moment where where I kind of turned on the movie for a moment and was like, "How dare you?" She is acting really dumb here. Let me pause the discussion just for a minute to tell you about something cool that we're doing this holiday season. You know, we've done like 220 plus episodes of The Incomparable at this point. And I always want to tell people like, oh, go back and listen to that great episode we did three years ago about toys that we got when we were kids. And, you know, with the way people listen to podcasts is in their podcast app, not on a web page where they're searching for old podcasts. So what I did is this year I built uh, this crazy thing that's like an advent calendar in podcast form. So if you want to hear some great incomparable stuff about the holidays from the past and maybe some bonuses and other things that you'll find interesting, go to theincomparable.com slash holiday. There are links to to subscribe to something we're calling the Incomparable Holiday Box. And uh, every day in December between the 1st and the 25th, you will get something. I don't know what. I'm still making it up as I go along um, from the past and maybe some other bonus stuff that's holiday related. And I think it might be kind of fun. And maybe we'll keep doing it into the new year as a like a rerun channel for great old episodes but check it out the incomparable holiday box the incomparable.com slash holiday okay back to galaxy quest so so they 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 the little blue alien guys uh eat their crippled friend <laughs> they tear him limb from limb as you do and uh there's a there's a panic and everybody wants to run but they got to get the brilliant sphere so 
in the end, they uh, Jason Nesmith. This is his moment to shine, right? He 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 starts barking orders, and it's very impressive until somebody points out that that's those are all the orders from that episode where Sam Rockwell got killed. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, and there's a very nice moment where is it uh, is it uh, Laredo that that tries to lie and say it was a different episode number? No, no, sixty one. Oh yeah, sixty one. Right, just to <laughs> shut up, uh, Sam Rockwell. <laughs> Uh, this leads to Rock Monster, Rock Monster. It's a and, great song. And the pig lizard. And, oh, and the pig lizard oh, transport. Pig lizard, yeah. So, yeah, the so there's turn, there's the blue out. aliens. There's a rock monster and there's the pig lizard. So they're they're, they're chanting rock rock. Well, let's translate it. Rock 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 rock. Oh, <laughs> I okay. like that translating it is the last thing that they thought to do. Yeah. <laughs> yep. They're not very the, good at their jobs. I, That's I have a thing to say about the, the the rock monster. This is where the deleted scene is actually useful. Uh, there's a call forward, but you, so uh, you know, Tim, the Tim Allen character is getting uh, Jason is getting uh, beaten up there, and uh, he's being dragged around. He loses the shirt, of course, and you know what's his uh, what's his colleague back in the ship talking about? It's like you don't respect the art. You need to get inside his head. Well, in the deleted scene is actually Alan Rickman going on. I put his link in the chat room. I found a Russian version of it in t- subtitles where the subtitles translate back to English, and it's hilarious. Uh, but it's a, an extended scene where it goes on too long. Where Alan, and that's why they cut it. Is Alan Rickman is trying to do the method acting like what does the rock monster want? It wants silence. All this noise. It wants silence. And there's a call. There's a payoff much later that doesn't make sense in the actual movie. It's kind of thrown away for that deleted scene. Oh, when the when the rock monster gets ejected into space. Yeah, and all of a sudden in the I think there's actually a slightly different version that's in the deleted scene as well. The one in the movie is abrupt. The rock monster goes. <sighs> and it relaxes when it's in the silence of space. <laughs> and it's a beautiful payoff that, you know, it doesn't matter. There's a little bit of a scene in the original film. But it's it's actually worth seeing the deleted scene just for that little the little payoff. But uh yeah. But it's a wonderful I mean it's it's a beautiful thing that he winds up with his shirt off and with like mm. nice bloody marks that of course don't seem to cause him any problems at all and aren't still bleeding, but it's the very very Captain Kirky. It's so Shatner. Shirts and then and they say it when he gets beamed up later is you know of course you, know, you lost the shirt lo- lose your shirt there um, I, I like this is a reference to um, I think mostly to the enemy within where they uh, the the transporter hasn't been tested and again it's based on uh, <laughs> on Tech Sergeant Chang's hand movements and this is a moment where Tony Shalhoub loses it and is freaked out and doesn't want to do this because they try to beam up the uh, lizard and it turns inside out and explodes <laughs> as if one of those wasn't bad enough it does both I love the comic timing of it too uh, oh, yeah. because. It, it, you get that nice shot of it inside out. Well, I say nice uh, in quotes <laughs> of it inside out and everybody reacts to that. And then it explodes and you get all the bits fly, <laughs> flying everywhere and it's sticking to some surfaces and Sigourney Weaver slowly gets up and she's like, hold please. And like that little blob of pink stuff falls <laughs> off of the end of the communicator when she flips it over. <laughs> Uh, it's it's quite nice. <laughs> I also like in the later in the scene, one of the Thermians is still covered with it. Everyone else is sort of cleared off, and his face is just covered with with hog goo, hog innards. Yeah, yeah. Well, and when they do beam up uh, Tim Allen, you know, he's he's in beaming into that chamber, and behind him is just like a it's just a splatter of horrible things. <laughs> An abattoir. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I, I like that because it, it is, you know, like that classic Star Trek episode, the transporter isn't working right and they're afraid to to, to beam anybody up. And um, 
and but they end up having to do it because he's uh, shirtless Tim Allen is going to get crushed by the rock monster. And of course, this time it all works fine and he is saved. You also get the arena reference too with the uh, uh, try to construct something oh, to yeah. defend yourself. <laughs> it's someone in the yeah. chat room just put in it's, it's can you try oh, yeah, to construct? Look around you. Can you, can you try yeah, to form some sort of rudimentary lathe? Yeah, that, that's a, a small quantity of coal. I found this. Yes, it's a wonderful. Yeah, so the, I mean, oh this is God. the loving detail that when you know that that I think Scott mentioned that this is these are people who who know their Star Trek and know that it's funny, but like I mean, I'll defend th- that arena episode, even though the Gorn <laughs> is the slowest m- monster ever. It's menacing. It's slow. <laughs> it's <laughs> relentless. It's, it's like dramatic. it makes Godzilla look uh, mm. like a gymnast. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it's just so slow. And, but I love it. So uh, they they now that they're back on the ship, everything's great, right? <laughs> Except that Saris has taken over the ship. Ah, oh, plot twist. <laughs> uh, and and so this leads to the moment where they have to break the news to uh, to Mathazar that uh, the historical documents are not in fact historical documents. And I really like the uh, I, I like Saris in this scene, and I especially like his line: "Explain as you would a child." But, you know he is he is so dripping with contempt for the Thermians, and he is really enjoying the fact that now that he's figured it out that these people are are just these actors, and that the Thermians, you know, any danger, any damage that that Saris can inflict on them doesn't match up to the emotional damage that he can make the humans inflict on them by revealing that they're not historical documents. It's a really nice scene and uh, creepy and. Uh, and in the middle of a, a wacky movie, it's a it's a a, a very uh, tough and sad scene because you don't want to let these guys down. They're friendly octopus people. But- it's actually this is I think one of my favorite scenes in the movie for that reason because it's just it's so it works. But this yeah. point, Mathazar is I mean I I have started to really feel for him and sort yeah. of see him as a child. I think that line from Saris, you're right, is perfect because I just you want to protect him. He's so sweet and earnest and genuine about everything and the fact that Saris is so cruel in making them actually explain it yeah there really isn't anything worse that he could do at that point that is that is a, a real villain yeah I really wanted to see the theater uh, on Saris's world though because he was familiar with actors and I was really curious what performance would be like since that was a con- <laughs> it's what are their sh- what are their television shows like it's mostly just sitcoms sitcoms and David Mamet <laughs> work workplace sitcoms mostly that, that's how he turned so evil yeah Blood ticks are for closers. You haven't experienced Shakespeare until you've heard it in the original Sarian. Yeah. <laughs> I, I want to bring up just – I want to go back just a tiny bit, which is this movie has a unique property. I it, You know, I, I like the film very much, but it also has um, some interesting dramatic properties that you don't see everywhere, which is they have different arcs peak at different times in um, – they've given a lot of time to the development of many different characters. It's very hard to do in a movie. You see it more in other – you know, TV shows over time or something. And Tony Shalhoub's character gets his moment. He gets his little apotheosis thing. When he beams up, he he looks at Missy Pyle. He falls in love. They have their their moment. And then they have the terrible, the, oh, that's just not right scene later. But he gets his apotheosis before the film peaks. So he's found his confidence. And that sort of carries him along into scenes that are that are coming up, even as other people are finding, you know, their particular life journey is hitting the part of the film where they need to achieve their confidence. I think that's kind of a... 
it's not unusual, but it was certainly a nice element in it that you had all the strands coming together at different points instead of everyone going, well, he's found his heart. He's found his soul. He's found his, uh, you know, missing wallet. Well, this is the um, the challenge with a movie like this is that you don't have the shorthand that Star Trek has where you've seen these characters a million times. And so right. they have to use some Star Trek shorthand. And then they they do like a Star Trek movie. They've also got to give them all a little moment to shine and a little and a little bit of an arc. And um, and they do a good job. In most cases. Oh, well, okay. Uh-oh. Yeah. <laughs> this is this is true. Actually, I, I think that that one's so obvious that I don't even think about it. But you, you know how in some of the Star Trek movies, it's like, wait, what did what did Sulu do in this movie? Or what did Uhura do in this movie? And you think back and you're like, nothing, kind A striptease? Of? A strange oh, desert? Oh. Yeah. We don't talk about that. Stop. Fan <laughs> dance. Yeah. Uh, not for the fans. Not good. Mm-hmm. Not good. So anyway, there's an escape. Saris doesn't put them to death, although he wants them shot out into space. Uh, there's an escape, uh, and Justice, Justin Long gets called into action. He gets the call that every fan has always dreamed of. The captain of the ship is in trouble, and he needs your help. And this is, uh, that, that it's all real. Oh my God, I knew it. <laughs> this is every, yes, every fan has that. I'm not a complete brain case. Okay, that was a nice line I liked. from. Yeah, well, it's nice because he refutes uh, initially... Yeah, every everything he's like, ah, everything, you know, I'm I'm totally normal, yeah. <laughs> and then of course that's not true. Oh. No, <laughs> let me get the boys on the line. Hey, yeah. I, we made a 3D model of this, and uh, you know, I know I got an expert for every area of the questions that you're asking. I like that too. That it's not he's not he again he's the captain of his crew, so he's got his experts in the various ways that he can deploy them. Um, the only expert he doesn't have is somebody to take out the garbage. I I think maybe know. maybe my favorite line. Tied yep. to his his storyline is is near the end where he's he's rushing out with all the fireworks, and he explains why, and finally he goes out, and and his parents look at each other and go, well, at least he's going outside. Yeah. <laughs> I also like this. There's a scene uh, right around here where Sigourney Weaver Weaver. I had to watch this twice. I had to stop because I'm watching her lips move. And that is not what she says. Oh, yeah. And I rewound, uh, and she let the F-bomb this go. Was, this was going to be an R-rated movie, and then they just decided it was going to be a PG movie instead. She said there were going to be sex scenes, which I don't know where those were going to wind up in there. But I don't know if she was being funny when she did that interview a few years ago. But, um, yes, that was an F-bomb. Yeah. Badly over – they didn't, did not reshoot that or do any yeah. work they didn't have any coverage for it, and it's the worst ADR <laughs> that yeah, you could yeah. ever see. No, it's a it's a yippee kaye, Mister Falcon kind of moment. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it must have been they must have realized that that they uh, that they could market it as a PG, and they and just you know take out or loop the uh, the, the some of the dialogue, and so they did. And that one, yeah, suffers. That's a uh, you can you can look at it as an homage to all of the times that you know classic pulpy sci-fi shows didn't have coverage and had to do the same thing. Yeah, the bad yeah. bad yeah. ADR. Sure. Um, okay, there's a nice scene where uh, where uh, they they save the Thermians who are being uh, killed. The they're they're being deprived of oxygen and and uh, they're gonna they're gonna all die. Um, and they're and they're saved, and this is sort of a moment for Alexander Dane to shine, Alan, Alan Rickman. Um, but uh, but but sadly, Quillick the Thermian dies, uh, killed by a uh, shot in the back, right by a by one of Saris's guys. Yeah. yeah, yeah, from right. from outside in the hallway. Yeah, uh, and then that guy's that henchman's gun immediately jams, and he just keeps hitting it for like five minutes sure. while Quillick is dying. Yeah. 
Well, that's what henchmen. He probably threw <laughs> threw it at him and then ran away because that's mm-hmm. what henchmen do. It's that's in the, the uh, that's I think the single sweetest moment in the movie. And uh, I, I I will digress as you know is my one. And when I was a at high school, uh, did a lot of acting. And um, once we had this fellow who graduated the high school show up, and uh, he did a lot of Shakespeare. And he wasn't like a professional, but he did a lot of theater since he'd graduated. And he's talking about Hamlet, and he's talking and talking. And then he stops, and he actually does a very small bit of it, and the entire universe changed. And that was the moment I understood what acting was different from what we were doing. And in the movie, <laughs> I had that same reaction that Alan Rickman, time stops, and suddenly he is completely there that performer doing a performer's role, doing a performer's role, and he sells it that by Grapathar's hammer. And you're just like, oh, my God. It's all – it is so real in the middle of this crazy sci-fi movie that he can pull that off. It's incredible. Yeah, I think that's the emotional heart of this movie is this scene. And, it, and it's the yes. fact that that Alexander Dane, um, you know, he he accepts that what – Except what he he doesn't earlier in the movie, which is that that this character is important to people. Yeah, that Doctor Lazarus matters, and and this is like you know Leonard Nimoy uh, accepting the fact that even though he could say I am not Spock like he did in the seventies, that Spock was important and the Vulcan philosophy was important to people, and uh, you know infinite diversity and infinite combinations and all and all of that live live long and prosper. All of that mattered to people, and whether it started as a show and it started as a as an acting job, um, there there's some level of responsibility because the, these people take it seriously whether or not you believe it they take it seriously and so for alan rickman in that moment to to realize that the right thing to say to this true believer and and the right the thing he wanted to say at that moment was this thing that he's hated all this time and suddenly it means something it's a really it is a beautiful moment yeah yeah and it, it also means something especially uh with quillick because the whole entire time we've had quillick in this movie uh, has been with in scene specifically with uh, Alexander Dane, um, and it's always been about uh, the deep respect that Quillick has for this thing that uh, Alexander Dane has no respect at all for. Um, and it, you know, he uh, from from the moment he's introduced until his death, uh, he even says that he feels like he is a father figure to him. Um, and it, it's it's really nice, and it, show, it shows one way that. Um, sort of a, a television performance can inspire someone um even even though it you know it's not real uh, but it's 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 just very nice and it's very touching yeah that's a great moment uh and he does the whole thing he does the full you know by grab thar sam or by the sons of orvan oh. whatever yeah. <laughs> you shall well, be avenged Beautiful. i gotta go grab some kleenex watching it and then i watch it again and grab some more it Beautiful. just it's a lovely little bit yeah that's really great um Justin Long has taken out the the, the trash and the recycling. Um, I, I can't. I mentioned this in our War Games episode. This feels to me to be a direct reference to War Games, because mm-hmm. the world almost ends because Matthew Broderick has to take out the trash. It's like the same scene. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's the exact same scene, but it's great. Um, they this is this is also in in this moment. This is where we get uh, Tim Allen and Sigourney Weaver running through, as we mentioned earlier, the the uh, the uh, the bowels of the ship, which are ridiculous. <laughs> just a series of ridiculous things one after another like this is you know but the, including again sci-fi in general star wars i think in particular um but a lot of a lot of uh genre movies where there are uh places with no handrails mysterious things that you know doctor who did this f- 6 years later 
they had that episode, uh, Erica, the um, the end <laughs> yes. of the world, where there yes. where there are chompers <laughs> that the doctor that. has to walk through, and yes. I'm like, really? Did they not see Galaxy Quest? Maybe they did see Galaxy Quest. And he does his like Time Lord trance to walk through the chompers. But it's the you know, so they got the chompers. And the and the Omega thirteen, which I I am amused that the unknowable thing that nobody knows about, not even the writer, and even the people who constructed this ship, the Thermians, don't know what it is, but they know enough to make it. Beautiful. Yeah. It's a beautiful yeah. conceit though. Because they, you know what they don't do in this film is they don't come back and explain things at you. They're like, we built yeah. this thing. We don't know what it does. No one knows what it does. And then it does this wonderful, perfect thing. And they're like, oh, well, the reason it did that. They're like, no, it just did no, that. That's, that's what, what it, it did. Yep. Well, there was a uh, – when he's talking to Justin Long about it and uh, you know, Justin Long's like, oh, I envy the view that you have and stuff like that. And they look up and he uh, says specifically uh, th- that the fans have theories about this. Mm-hmm. And one of them happens to be, of course, the theory that it resets – everything for uh by 13 seconds um i don't know how they formulated that but that that was that little bit of exposition that helps explain things much later on um the actual design of the omega 13 is uh very interesting and weird looking and i i don't know how the thermians managed to produce that based on whatever the 80s version of that looks like (laughs) uh it's it's really neat and uh one of the things that uh (laughs) <laughs> I think I think is kind of a, a little bit of a plot misstep here is that the whole thing was Ceres wanted to have the Omega-13, but he's just going to blow up the whole ship with the Omega-13 on it. Um, he didn't hmm. get it out of the ship, which is a little strange. Well, if he can't have it, no one will have it. Yeah. <laughs> and all his guys, it's like Khan. All his guys, all right. his guys are on it, but he doesn't care. He's going to fire all the things at them. Well, they, they were on it with the self-destruct, too. Yeah, I, I don't the- know. The consistency, though, is that um, Saris has found out they're actors, and he's like, oh, the Omega-13 is uh, garbage. It's a fake. That that may be. Everything else in the ship is ridiculous. So uh, one of the things that is less obvious, I think, um, but when you watch the movie uh, a few times, they don't overstate this, but clearly this is a show that ended on a cliffhanger that was never resolved. The Omega-13 is the cliffhanger item. It's the mm -hmm. MacGuffin or whatever. They, 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 Omega 13 being released is the last scene of the last episode and it's never resolved. And you, you, they show that clip of him releasing it. And, uh, and Guy says, you're the last, you're the first people to see this since it aired in 1982. So presumably there's a story there about how they never put that episode in syndication because it ends on a cliffhanger that's never resolved. And they just cycle back to the beginning. Oh, and see, then- I thought, I thought that was a, uh, I thought that was a Doctor Who joke because he's talking about how had been recovered i thought it was a missing episode like all of doctor uh, who's missing episodes no i think i think this is what it is though yeah. is, is that it was supposed to be the season cliffhanger and they got canceled and so now they just don't show that episode because there's no resolution to it and that was the and that's why the fans have the theories about what the omega 13 does because to be continued it was never continued uh, it's just a nice i mean they could have gone over that with a you know with a highlighter and they they don't it's just right. kind of under the surface there that this is the this is so in some ways what this movie does is actually resolves the big cliffhanger at the end mm-hmm. of the fake tv show <laughs> they do, i think they do a very nice job of that again it does so beautifully because in a in a syndication cycle you know what happens at the the last episode you go right back to the first episode so yeah. whatever that cliffhanger was to whoever was watching it out in outer space, it just set everything backwards, right to the beginning again. Oh, David, you just blew my mind. <laughs> before before they trigger the Omega-13, 
This is the other uh, deleted scene continuity issue. So when Gwen, you see her in one scene and she's her costume's falling apart. And then in the next scene, you're seeing her bra and she's all whatever. There's a scene in which she goes and she seduces the guards, the the uh, Saris's guards, or attempts to and like tears her shirt open. And it's ridiculous. And that's, they deleted it, but it's the, they never fixed the continuity because they didn't have coverage. And she didn't have coverage either, but I'm pumped. So, so Erica, just file that one away. Yeah, I think that would make Erica a little – I thought they'd make you angrier, but I thought you should know. Yeah, I I appreciate that there's at least a reason for it, uh, I, I guess. But I think it's – then again, the, the reason terrible. for it is, makes it even worse yeah. because, yeah. again, it doesn't make any sense. I, I'll say in the – it actually seems much more ridiculous, Ohura-like, the scene that was cut. So it, I think it is an homage to the terrible fan dance like, oh, we'll do this ridiculous thing that doesn't make any sense. And then we're just going to go on from there and actually go back to the plot. The – um. We get they, they uh, Justin Long saves the day. They do stop the self destruct, but it keeps counting down to one because it's <laughs> beautiful. It always counts down to one. It always counts down to one. <laughs> uh, unless it's a Bond movie, then it stops at seven. <laughs> uh, and uh, there's a really nice. I like the little moment where they do outwit Saris and uh, and uh, they've got the mines. The minefield pays off again. The magnetic. These mines look like they may be my- magnetic. They say early on. Mm. Hmm, <laughs> that might be important later. And so they get to return to the earth uh and then we get our omega 13 moment where um this this is uh this is one of a couple places that this movie reminds me of wayne's world (laughs) it's like they have the super sad ending that's terrible and then they have that moment of like like we were going to do that ending and they go back in time and then everything's fine again Mm -hmm. um and then they and then uh justin long is lighting the roman candles Okay, to uh, get them uh, back to the convention center. And this is one of those things that, again, it's fun to end where we started. Although it's like, how many people got killed when the side of the convention center (laughs) smashed open? And how many cars were destroyed by the spaceship as it coasted to a landing? And, uh, you know, it's Mm -hmm. just a a movie. (laughs) What a way to go. Killed by a spaceship. Nobody was standing by that wall anyway, I'm sure. Oh, they were they were all true fans anyways. Just just Klingons. Yeah, that's true. That's true. They were okay, yeah. It was just there was just like a t shirt place over there. So probably only like the guy who was selling the t shirts got crushed. They should they should have showed those two kids who were making fun of everyone getting smashed by the I think they did I think it was not shown but assumed that those two those two guys were were killed. Headcanon accepted. Yeah. All right. And the over the end credits, we discover that they bring Galaxy Quest back. Yay! The end with uh, with Ch- security mark. chief Guy Ingersoll. Guy Ingersoll, yes, it yeah. it's a last name. Yeah, it's a last name. A rock guy. Rock Ingersoll. Rock. Ingersoll. <laughs> yeah. Is it is it worth mentioning the three times that Saris dies? <laughs> he does. He does come back. Again, again, yes. <laughs> on the stage, uh, on the stage of the convention center, because he's a he's a villain in a he's like a horror movie monster at that point. He just keeps coming back. Yeah, I mean, it, they didn't really even give him dialogue for that last one. He just no. <laughs> saunters out with a with a rifle. <laughs> well, they want that Raiders of the Lost Ark moment almost, where it's like, oh no, and they're like, he's gone. The yeah. end. Yay! Everybody cheers. Okay, should we talk about uh, Erica? Let's talk about Gwen. 
yeah. Okay, first of all, I would like to point out that I do love this movie. Mm. I think it's wonderful. It is, it's just beautiful and heartfelt and made by people who clearly love so many of the same things that I do. It, it really echoes that world perfectly. I just think maybe it echoes that world a little too perfectly mm. because like so many other properties, it really just felt like it was not made for me. The female character in the the show in Galaxy Quest is very, you know, just kind of silly and useless. But she's not really that much better in quote unquote real, real life. life. Yeah. Yeah. She mm. just I mean, you look at the other characters and they actually have some some decent arcs. You get Jason discovering that, you know, he can actually be heroic. And you get uh, Alexander discovering that that it really doesn't matter, you know, wh- that what you do can touch people. It doesn't necessarily matter how highbrow or lowbrow it might be and some of that stuff is really beautiful but then when you look at Gwen her arc the take home message I got from her is sometimes it's okay to just be really pretty and if you hang in there and you don't try too hard to go above and beyond your station then you might land a hunky man at the end of everything like that's just so depressing it makes me sick (laughs) I I have to agree with Erica Mm, I agree too I I, I I like her uh, much better at the beginning of the movie Uh Mm -hmm. um, because she seems to have a lot more uh, integrity and a a sense of self-worth in turning down uh, Tim Allen's advances um, and and standing up for the crew uh, that they work together or not at all. Um, And then she just kind of gets sort of like silly and ditzy um, on the planet and, you know, when they're running around in the corridors um, she gets some good lines, but they're not, uh, they don't change her character, um, mm-hmm. push her forward, like Erica mentioned. I feel like they had such an opportunity to kind of turn things sideways and really highlight how silly those things were. The way that they chose to highlight the silliness of the female roles in so many of these shows is to just have this character do all of those things and put a spotlight on it. So there wasn't there wasn't as much kind of like, you know, side-eyeing it and being like, seriously? It was like, no, this is my thing and I'm going to do it. Eep. Yeah, I uh, I think they wanted to they wanted to have it both ways, right? I I think they wanted to satirize uh, the the character being useless, and I get that. Mm-hmm. And then they start off with with the actual actress being more interesting, and then I at some point in the movie they decide they know they actually want to satirize the actress too, mm-hmm. and, and it's problematic. In and it feels to me like they could have done not a lot. And made it a lot better, just understanding something of their history, um, so that their relationship, because their 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 history, Tim Allen's character and Sigourney Weaver's characters is is completely intangible, right? It's like, well, some you know, no, there was nothing between them, and then he says, well, that's what some say, right? But there's mm-hmm. no there's no actual actual anything. There's nothing to it, and so when they you know when the, when the movie ends the way it does, we're like, oh, look. It's uh, isn't that nice? It, that like, where did that come from? It's not really, it's not really paid off anyway. And if we had a better sense of them being, you know, people who actually had a relationship and were sparring with each other, and that this was something that made them understand and grow, like that they that they really, you know, that they made a mistake back then, or that they they're not as bad as they thought, or whatever. But none of that is in this movie, right? The movie is too <laughs> too busy, like. Again, successfully taking shots and making funny jokes about various things. And I feel like in the end with Gwen, they decided that they just would rather tell the jokes and not have the character be a person, 
which for 1999 is not a really surprising thing in a science fiction movie, I'm mm. sorry to say. No, but it's the potential that makes us unhappy is that you think the, it's going one direction and they make Guy into a full-fledged character and they make her into a cartoon. And that's what's disappointing. I, I have to think that on one level, they assume that they that that the entire thing is uh, being seen by people who understand the other characters that Sigourney Weaver has played. And that the whole thing is just in contrast to the strong women that she's played in other movies. Right. Um, that doesn't help you when you're reading <laughs> this movie, right? This movie yep. doesn't do it. And yes, that is effective. I think I, that's the most effective thing about it, right? Is that this is the same mm-hmm. woman who played Ripley. Yeah. Okay. But in this, you know, Gwen DeMarco is like a cipher. Yeah. That, that's meta, meta, meta. <laughs> the meta yeah. is eating its own tail. Yeah. 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 Mm. That's an alien tail. Well, and it, it it's also disappointing, too, because of uh, Lilari, um, the only other uh, mm-hmm. female in the movie. Um, she also just has a relationship with yeah. with Fred Kwan. She just kisses um, Fred Kwan. Mm-hmm. That's Jane her Doe. job. Although I think one of Justin Long's crew is a girl. Yes. Is that, am I, so, you know, yeah. at least we have somebody who's, who does something that's important. <laughs> <laughs> and it happens to be that girl who has almost no lines. I don't even remember. Yeah. I think yeah. she just stood around when they were in the convention center and in the parking garage at the Tech Value Superstore. Mm-hmm. Um, cause I don't think she was one of the ones that they called even when they were. Uh... <laughs> Great. You're yeah. probably right. No, I think you're right. Oh, good. Well, okay. Justin Long's mom is a proponent of recycling. So that's good. <laughs> All right, <laughs> that's she's a new hero. That's possible. Yeah. Oh, thank you, Scott. You've sa- you've salvaged this movie. I, I do what I can. We can have Christmas now. Very nice. I sorry, I, I had to type proponent of recycling as a, as a suggested title just because that was. What makes this movie? Uh, is it is it its loving uh, loving attention to detail that makes it so successful? Um, is this a movie that makes sense if you don't know Star Trek or Star Wars or other sci fi movies? Does it work? I- I don't know. My wife is not a um, uh, Lynn is not a. Uh, she has a name. Her name is Lynn. Uh, is not a uh, a science fiction fan at all. Cannot stand Doctor Who because of the music, which makes her feel queasy. Um, she doesn't like st- stress tension stuff like that, and or the plots. Uh, and so she has a very low tolerance for it. She really liked this film. We saw it when it first came out. I think we've watched it again at least once. And um, so it does absolutely sell to people who don't have all the in references uh, to it. And um, I think I think it does work as a as a cultural critique, even if you don't know the jokes. And it's it's better if you know the jokes. But but it's still because it's got so much heart and it tells a good story. It works. My co-host on Defocus, Dan, doesn't like science fiction stuff at all, um, and he uh, really loves Galaxy Quest and doesn't necessarily understand all of the Star Trek pop culture stuff and jokes and everything that's layered in here, but. Uh, he can still appreciate it for its comedy and uh, it, it's accessible um, to a wider audience than if it was just sort of a uh, uh, one of those fan videos that gets shown at fan mm. conventions where they make their own parodies. So <laughs> We should also mention, uh, we did an entire episode of Red Shirts in the past, but I don't think we've mentioned it once. Right. This entire thing oh, is, yeah. is uh, you know, I don't know where um, Scott, John Scalzi uh, falls in terms of loving this movie 
or not, but there are huge echoes in red shirts of that kind of meta, meta, meta narrative that predates Galaxy Quest, of course, and is, and is a trope in sort of, um, you know, modern science fiction that's satirical, uh, like stainless steel, not stainless steel rat. Uh, what's the, there's a, a parody of uh, Starship Troopers. I forgot what it's called, but it's Harry, Harry Harrison as a, as a parody uh. of that. Um, so there are there are there is a notion of parodying the space opera genre already, of course. But but Red Shirts is a great example of of like meta and then met like meta meta. <laughs> yeah, I mean Red Shirts is is sort of the flip side of this, where it's the fictional the fictional people are real and um, frustrated by all of the fictional choices. So it's just a little bit different, but yeah, yes. Yeah, so yeah, they similar. complain about the writers are terrible. They yeah. complain this is ridiculous. Why would you do this? Yeah, they get mad at the writers. I, I think I think it's a, a combination of the love for the genre, but but it is fun too. But it's not it's not mocking fun, right? It's it's a very um, it's it's an all embracing kind of fun. It's not it's not putting anything down. It's saying, look, this is this is a fun thing. These people are goofy. These people are yeah. goofy, but they're all good people. It's okay. Um, and and I mean, it's it's so much fun watching it again tonight. I was thinking about how, you know, I, I have a very problematic relationship with Buckaroo Banzai because I love the book and I hate the movie. And I think mm. this is that kind of tone of light adventure and, and with a little bit of pathos in it that Buckaroo Banzai really was aiming for or could have aimed for. And I think it would have been much better if it had been, if it had, if it had hit the target. And I think this hits that target. So, um, at uh, Comic-Con this year, I believe, um, or right around Comic-Con time, uh, there was a, a web – I think MTV did a story where they talked to a bunch of people in it. And, and uh, there was the, – the writer and the stars all basically said, we would love to do a sequel – and apparently the writer said, I, oh, sure, I've got plenty of ideas, but I'm not going to tell you anything on the record. <laughs> um, so who knows? This may be one of those movies that gets a uh, that gets a uh, a sequel 20 years afterward, which would be fitting for Star Trek, honestly. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's exactly what the Star Trek movies were. That would be pretty funny. They'll they'll travel back in time, and there'll be a a younger cast that they'll meet. <laughs> <laughs> well, there'll be a next generation, and then Star Trek babies. Yeah, you know, it was fun. This was a fun conversation. It's also fun just to have an excuse to watch this movie. It's very fun. Yeah, good one. Mm-hmm. I'm never going to be able to. You know, Erica, you. I was just thinking about how stupid Gwen is in that scene with the little <laughs> alien babies, which she wants to like run over and hug them or something. And yeah. When when really? Sam Rockwell is the voice of uh, reason, that's a bad sign. Right. And I mean, they could have chosen any of the characters besides Sam Rockwell to want to go and, you know, talk to him for, you know, other reasons. You know, look, they, they look harmless. I'm sure they're fine, whatever. But they it's a very gendered thing that they did to her. Mm-hmm. They're cute. They're adorable. They're like babies. So I want to go and hug them. Mm-hmm. If, it, if it wasn't that gendered, if it was just more neutral, maybe I wouldn't have had as big a problem with it. <laughs> I just realized we we realize that none of the characters in the show, um, it is this is where it becomes uh, is meta is like none of them have any family apparently, at all because they're not worried they're not talking my children don't know where I am my husband my wife my partner my lover they're like we're off in space and we're not thinking about anybody but the people in this room which is a little well, bit they of that, are uh, actors yeah exactly well, <laughs> oh, 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 oh. take that turn. <laughs> Erica hates actors. (laughs) 
so not true. <laughs> An actor told her that everything that they did was truthfully historical once. And, never, <laughs> and I believed it ever, ever since. Ever, ever forgiven them for that horrible lie. Believed in Santa Claus. Well, this is uh, this is the time where we all have to say goodbye uh, for now. And uh, I would like to thank my guests for talking about Galaxy Quest with me. David Lore, thanks for being here. As always, a pleasure. Glenn Fleischman, thank you. Super neat. Scott McNulty, thank you very much for being here. Never give up, never surrender. There you go. (laughs) Erica Ensign, thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. It's been great. And Joseph Rosensteel. Joe, it was great to have you on The Incomparable. And we should say that people should listen to the episode of Defocused, where you and Dan talk about Galaxy Quest, if they want even more Galaxy Quest. Uh, by Grabthar's hammer. Please please don't make them do that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, that wraps it up. Uh, don't forget to buy the Random Trek t-shirt on your way out. <laughs> <laughs> and thank you. Thank you.